Why do bad things happen? Well, we live in a world that often seems senseless. What are the causes behind the, the evil we experience, and what is God going to do about it? Carl Sandburg observed, life is like an onion. You peel it off one layer at a time, and sometimes you weep. Who among us hasn't been stunned by bad news and numbed by pain? Who hasn't asked the honest question, why? Cancer, kidney failure, heart disease, sudden infant death syndrome, cerebral palsy, Down syndrome, divorce, rape, loneliness, rejection, failure, infertility, widowhood. These and a million other sources of human suffering produce inevitable reminders that bad things are painful. I want you to see today that bad things are a a temporary consequence of, of living in a fallen world. And so the, the first thing we need to understand, if we're going to understand evil, injustice, suffering, is that free will permits evil to occur. <clears throat> One thing that we sometimes forget is that God never promised that life on earth would be fair. Life in our imperfect world cannot always be fair because God created mankind with free will, this uh, ability to choose whether to do right or wrong, the the capacity to think and choose on our own whether to do right or or wrong, to decide to do what we we elect to do is a human trait instilled by God. Adam and Eve had the, the freedom to respect God's role as the supreme authority in the universe, they also possessed free will to commit the supreme evil of rebelling against God. And since God has has given us this freedom, instead of mass producing a line of pre-programmed robots, he has imposed some limitations on himself that preclude him from always intervening. But by giving human beings free will, God risked rejection. However, he offered a choice so that love for him would be genuine and not coerced. C.S. Lewis observed, if a thing is free to be good, it is also free to be bad. And free will is what has made evil possible. Why then did God give them free will because free will, though it makes evil possible, is also the only thing that makes possible any love, any goodness, any joy worth having. Real love is impossible without free choice to accept it or reject it. The the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk cried out to God, Why do you tolerate wrong? He knew that God had the eminent authority to crush those perpetrating evil. And so he questioned, Lord, why do you put up with it? God's nature is pure and holy. He 
will only permit sin to take place for a while before the nature of justice demands the, the punishment of, of that sin. And so why do bad things happen? Well, there, there are several factors that we can identify. First of all is sinful choices on our part. A man went to the doctor and received some bad news. He was told, you only have six months to live. What do you recommend, Doc? If I were you, I would move to Montana for the winter, buy a pig farm, marry an ugly widow with five unruly children. Will that help me live longer? No, but I can guarantee it will be the longest six months of your life. Sometimes the pain from the bad things in life is, is pain that we experience that is self-inflicted. We all bear the scars of wrong choices. We face the consequences of our wrong actions. And a lot of the, the pain that we've experienced in life has been self-inflicted. Actor John Candy's father died at age 36. And despite having that knowledge of his family history, Candy remained overweight. He smoked heavily until he died of a fatal heart attack at age 43. My wife's mother would be 86 years old if alive today. I say would be because at age 42, she took her own life. And this month marks the anniversary of that unfortunate decision I've always said suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. We still miss her and think of her especially on her birthday or holidays, the anniversary of her death. Her presence is always missing from the table. She never knew most of her, her grandchildren. She was a great cook, baked the best apple pies I've ever enjoyed, she was a godly Christian leader of ladies in her church, an unselfish servant, but experiencing confusion from untreated emotional illness, she misguidedly opted to exit this life. Some of our choices are our own. I think another cause for the bad that happens are, are natural laws, those events of nature that insurance policies unfairly categorized as acts of God, such as tornadoes, hailstorms, floods, lightning strikes, circumstances occurring under the laws of nature due to weather conditions, of a car accident, of cancer. These acts of, of nature occur under the natural laws that have been set in order by God, but they are not directly caused by God. I'm giving you an example. If you choose to run on the ice, your free choice may result in a fall, causing a, a collision with the sidewalk, and maybe a painful broken bone may result, because gravity is uncomfortable at, at the time. And so God did not direct this fall to happen, but he did set up a, a world in which we can choose to exercise our free will, and he set in motion uniform ways that nature behaves, such as the law of gravity. And the fall was in his permissive will, but not in his directive will. 
Jesus told about a blind man in, in John chapter 9. And the disciples wrongly concluded that this man's disability must be directly a punishment for some serious sin in his life. And the guy's blind, he's done something really bad in the past, and he's being punished, right? That's, that's that human reasoning. They said, Jesus, is this man being punished for something he did or something his parents did? And once for all, Jesus clarified and said, neither. And so sometimes bad things happen just because of the, the natural laws that are in effect in the world. There's a third cause, the bad things that happen, and, and that is Satan. C.S. Lewis said there's a, a possibility of wanting to be the center. In fact, wanting to be God. And Satan put this temptation into the minds of our first ancestors that they could be like gods. And out of that hopeless attempt, he said, has come nearly all that we call human history. And then he begins the list <clears throat> where We've gone off the tracks. Money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery. The long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. End quote. You remember in, in Job chapter 1, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan, a former angel, uh, came with them. And God said, would you look at my man Job? Uh, there is a good guy. I mean, he, he is solid. He, he, he loves me. He, he's fully committed. And, and Satan said, well, yeah, why, why wouldn't he? You've given him everything. The guy's filthy rich. He's got a beautiful family. Yeah, let me lean on him a little bit, and uh, he'll curse you. And God said, I don't think you're right, uh, but everything he has is in your hands, but you can't lay a finger on, on the man himself. And then it says, Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So Satan began to afflict <clears throat> Job and, and destroy family and, and property, and he came back later to, to God, and God said, I told you he wouldn't, he wouldn't curse me, he wouldn't deny me. He goes, well, yeah, we took away some of his stuff, but, uh, you know, let me attack him personally, and then you'll, you'll see, you know, he'll, he'll cry uncle really fast. God said, very well, Job 2.6, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. You can't take his life, but I will permit you to, to go ahead and, 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 and attack him. And, and the source of that suffering was Satan trying to, Get one of God's faithful to recant. It's always been that way. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul was attacked by Satan. <clears throat> he said, I, I've experienced this messenger of Satan, this thorn in the flesh, some physical ailment that he doesn't detail, but this, this physical ongoing pain that was clearly from, from Satan. And it's spoken of there in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 and 8. And three different times, Paul prayed to God and said, Please, God, take this from me. This is awful. I, I, I could do so much more to serve you if you would eliminate this. Please, 
remove this. I, I, I'm your guy. I'm trying to serve you. I, I, I'm your missionary. And, and God made this statement back to, to Paul. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. God said, I, I, I could take that away, but, but, but Paul, you, you're actually better off with it. it, it it's drawing you closer to me, and it's causing you to rely more on me. Two, two boys were talking, and one asked the other, do you believe in the devil? The other boy said, no, I, I think it's like Santa Claus. It's your dad. I'll let that marinate for just a minute. Bad things like are, are like that. We're, we're not absolutely sure what or wh whom is responsible. We can't always immediately determine the cause or the, the purpose when we encounter bad things. So we need to be careful in defining them. But, but one thing is clear from the Bible is that this free will we have to choose is what permits evil to occur in the world. So as you wrestle with the question, why do bad things happen? The, the second truth that I want you to understand is that sin made this a fallen world. God originally created this utopia, this paradise, this, this perfect world in which we had this close contact with him. That was derailed, disrupted by sin. And, and that's when all these evil elements began to invade this world. It would seem unfair to blame God for the choices that people have made in direct defiance to his instructions. Before World War II, A.E. Wilder Smith frequently visited the impressive Gothic cathedral in Cologne on the Rhine River in western Germany. He said he admired the impressive structure with its flying buttresses, high domed hood, two towers, stained glass windows. He admired the, the architects and the masons who over the centuries had planned and, and built this breathtaking cathedral. It, its sturdy endurance and, and beauty gave testimony to the excellence of their craftsmanship. But during World War II, Cologne suffered extensive damage from bombings. And when Dr. Wilder Smith returned to Germany in 1946, at the end of the war, he was amazed at the sight of the cathedral. Most nearby buildings were destroyed, but the, the cathedral still stood. Gaping holes in the tower revealed the, the massive masonry that kept the building from collapsing. And though badly damaged, it was not destroyed. While he observed the chaos and, and remembered its former beauty, he said he never once connected the chaos with any defect on the part of the architects or masons. They did not make it for this ruin. Observing the damaged building, he did not doubt the existence of the architects or the masons. Even as it stood in ruins, it bore testimony to the intelligent design and masterful workmanship of its builders. And then he made his point. No one would accuse the builders of producing the ruins. The mixture of chaos and order did not lead one to assume it had no architects, nor that its creators were responsible for its destruction. 
Something had happened between its creation centuries before and its condition in 1946. In our world today, we see the evidence of a grand designer, but we see much disorder. We see beauty and ugliness, hope and despair, health and sickness, life and death. So it would be bad logic to conclude that because bad things happened in this world, that God must not exist or that he caused the bad things to happen. This world was created perfect. God saw that it was good. People were very good. And sometimes people ask, well, did God create Satan to be evil? And the answer we found was no. Just like the rest of God's creation, Satan was created perfect, free from sin. And for a time, Satan remained blameless. But then his great vanity caused rebellion in him and led to his expulsion from heaven. And ever since, he has been undermining God in an aggressive, retaliatory effort. Man was not created to die. Death was introduced as a, a consequence of sin. If there was no sin, there would be no death. All death and suffering flow out of that complex of, of sin. The world we are now a part of is under a curse. Well, before the fall of man, work was, was good. After the curse, work brought hard labor. Before the fall of man, labor was easy. But after the curse, maternal labor became very difficult. Our, our physical bodies were created to live forever. But after the curse, they began to decline and to die under the curse. We feel the painful effects of creation being in a fallen state. And so sin has caused us to live in a fallen world. It, it's broken. And we see that it wasn't what God created. We can't blame him for what sin has done to corrupt his perfect creation. I think the, the third thing that I want you to take home today is just this idea that the temporary reign of evil will end being conquered by God and good. Amen. Evil's temporary, but, but God will prevail. Dr. James Dobson relates an incident that occurred when his son Ryan was, was young, and it illustrated the profound love of, of the Heavenly Father. He said Ryan had a, a terrible ear infection when he was, four, I think, four years old. Uh, it kept him and us awake most of the night. Shirley bundled up the toddler the next morning and took him off to see the pediatrician. He said the man was an older doctor with very little patience for squirming kids, and he wasn't overly fond of parents either. <laughs> After examining Ryan, the doctor told Shirley that the infection had adhered itself to Ryan's eardrum. It could only be treated by pulling the scab loose with this wicked little instrument. He warned that the procedure would hurt, and he instructed Shirley to hold her son tightly on the table. 
not only did this news alarm her, but enough of it was understood by young Ryan, and it, it sent him into orbit. And Dobson says, Shirley did her best, but she put Ryan on the examining table, attempted to hold him down, but he would have none of it. The, the doctor inserted the pick-like instrument in the child's ear, and Ryan broke loose and screamed a high heaven. Pediatrician became angry at, at Shirley and said, if, if you can't follow instructions, then you better get your husband. And Dobson was in the neighborhood and quickly joined them at the examining room. And after hearing what was needed, he said, I swallowed hard, wrapped my 200-pound, 6-foot-2 frame around the toddler. It was one of the toughest moments in my career as a parent. He said, what made it so emotional was the horizontal mirror that Ryan was facing on the back side of the examining table. So this made it possible for him to look directly at me as he screamed for mercy. I really believe I was in greater agony at that moment than he was in his terrified state. And it was too much. I turned him loose. I got the beefed out version of the same bawling out that Shirley had received a few moments earlier. And finally, the grouchy pediatrician and I finished the task. This is what Dobson said afterwards. I reflected later on what I was feeling when Ryan was going through so much suffering. What hurt me was the look on his face. He was screaming and couldn't speak but he was talking to me with those big blue eyes. He was saying, Daddy, why are you doing this to me? I thought you loved me. I never thought you would do anything like this. How could you? Please, please stop hurting me. It was impossible to reason with Ryan that his suffering was necessary for his own good, that I was trying to help him that actually it was love that required me to hold him on the table. How could I tell him of my compassion at that moment? I would have gladly taken his place on the table if possible. But in his immature mind, I was a traitor who callously had abandoned him. And then I realized that there must be times when God feels our intense pain and suffers along with us, wouldn't that be characteristic of a father whose love is infinite? How he must hurt when we say in confusion, how could you do this terrible thing, Lord? Why me? I thought I could trust you. I thought you were my friend. Although we often don't understand all of the seeming inequities of life, we can trust that God will prevail in the end. To those who ask, why doesn't God do something about suffering? We well, must answer, he did. He became a man. And he suffered right along with us. And he died to save us from our sins. We all have come to expect that we will face some heartache in life. Dolly Parton said, Sunshine all the time makes a desert. A, a married couple experiencing a lot of conflict in their relationship didn't feel like they had a scriptural basis to divorce, but, but they were miserable. And the wife suggested 
I think we should pray for God to take one of us home and then I'll just go live with my mother. I don't mean to trivialize or minimize anyone's difficulty, but Romans 8.18 puts our present suffering in an eternal context. It says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Earth on its worst day, the most trouble and pain that you're going through, will pale when we get to heaven alongside the, the magnitude and presence of the Lord. So we need to keep suffering in its proper perspective. Bad things are inevitable. Bad things are temporary. This too will pass. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, Weeping may remain for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 17, <clears throat> 16 to 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we moment, in, inwardly our momentary troubles are achieving for us a greater glory that will far outweigh them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, although we don't often understand all that's going on, we can trust that God will prevail in the end. I'm reminded of the, the joke of the, the janitor hired at the First Baptist Church. He was asked to complete an application, and he admitted, I, I can't read or, or write. He was told, well, I'm sorry, we're, we're going to have to... Uh, to let you go and hire someone else. Uh, undaunted, he, he set up a, a fruit stand and began selling apples, and he sold more and more, and it kept growing, and soon he had his own store, and it expanded. He bought a second store, and before long, he, he owned a whole chain of fruit stores. And one day, his, his banker remarked, you've done really well for an illiterate. Just think what you could have done if you could read or write. Yeah, he said, I'd be the janitor at the First Baptist Church. While we may not understand all the twists and turns, we trust God and have seen that he can work good even out of terrible situations. Christ's death and resurrection draws the sting out of suffering. They declare that suffering is not meaningless. God worked out the salvation of the world through the suffering of Christ. Looking to the cross of Christ does not explain each of our sufferings, but when we see what God did for us on the cross, we can know that God cares, and he shares our suffering, and that he can be trusted. In this life, we will never have a, a total understanding of evil and suffering. God has chosen not to explain everything to us about evil and suffering. God has chosen not to destroy evil in the world at this time, but he has promised that when this world and human history are concluded, evil will be defeated. At the end of the day, God is the only solution to the problem of evil. If God does not exist, then we are locked without hope in a world filled with gratuitous, 
unredeemed suffering. God is the only answer to the problem of evil. And that's the victory of the Easter story that, that we just celebrated last Sunday. When intense suffering or personal tragedy crowd into our lives, we're forced to deal with that issue of, of suffering on a very emotional, very personal level. It becomes hard to think logically when your heart is broken. As we trust in God and leave our pain in his hands, no matter what difficulties we may face here, we are assured of his compassion and something far better hereafter. And let me close with the, the words of an old song. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord, we, we realize we live in a fallen world and that we've caused much of the debris and decay that, that we have to deal with. Lord, we, we thank you for redeeming our pain, for making suffering have a value, have a purpose, making it something that can give us hope for the future. We thank you for the, the message of Easter that still resounds today and gives us motivation and strength to go on and face our challenges. We thank you that we don't have to do that alone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.